At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota. Focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota. And conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hello, everybody. You are listening to the makers of Minnesota. I am Stephanie Hansen. Thank you for joining us today. On this podcast, uh, we talk about people that are doing cool things in the state of Minnesota that are making things, have great ideas about service or starting new apps or developing new things that will help the lives of people in Minnesota. And our guest today has certainly done that. Our guest today is Lori Kroll, and she is the proprietress of the Golden Fig, which is on Grand Avenue. And you are, I'm trying to describe your shop, a local retail shop Mm -hmm. that I feel likes to feature makers from the Midwest. For sure. Not just Minnesota makers, but others. That was a really Midwestern way to say that, wasn't it? For sure. For sure. For sure. (laughs) Um, You have turned me on to so many products. How many years have you been in business over there at the Golden Fig? So the retail store has been open. It'll be 13 years this spring, but I've been making my products for 22 years. So let's talk about that because you have the store and Mm -hmm. you're, to be honest, one of our go-to people on Weekly Dish to talk about new products, which we love. But you make, and this is why I wanted you to come on today, you make your own drink mixes, Mm -hmm. you make your own spice combinations. Uh, Am I missing anything that... So... It's we do spice blends and flavored sugars, um, the di- little dip mix packets. Oh, I forgot um, about the dips. Yeah, yeah, we do some dried bean soups and heirloom bean chilies. Um, the fresh drink mixers are definitely a popular thing that we make and sell at the farmers market. So when you started, you started with what spices? With spices and vinegars, and I was selling at the farmers market. And what was your background, or how did you get to that? Well, I. Didn't necessarily have a food background other than I worked at a pick and save <laughs> in, that o- in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And in college, I actually was in school for architecture and interior design and found myself out in the Hamptons for a summer. And as a longstanding overworker, I couldn't imagine being somewhere for a whole summer and not having a job. Right. So I went and got a job at a little gourmet food shop in East Hampton. And when I was walking by, I saw Help Wanted and I was like, oh, it's a grocery store. I work at a grocery store. Sure. I can totally do this. Well, Pick and Save and Barefoot Contessa are two super different types of grocery stores. Did I know that you worked there at the Barefoot know. Contessa? That's amazing. It was amazing. I love her. I love her too. You should love her. She's an amazing woman. Yeah. Like, and she has such a unique story, not unlike another person I love, Julia Child. Absolutely. Where she's brilliant. She yeah. was working in Washington as, I think, a policy, was she a policymaker? Ina was like nuclear. Ina? Yes. Yeah. It was like a nuclear, in the nuclear program. Yeah. Absolutely. And just super smart and lovely and ended up in the food world, which is kind of funny. So how long yes. did you work for her? So I was there a few years and what turned out as just starting as a summer job, I just was... 
I was so drawn in. Like I'll just, I always remember her face and it was so funny because this was very early nineties and she, I, she would say, you know, do you want a baguette? And I'm like, a what? And like, there were so many things that were so normal to people who weren't from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Sure. And like an iced coffee. I was like, a what? <laughs> like I had never had any of these things. So was, I can just imagine that that delights her too. Oh, for sure. To introduce and, you to new things. Absolutely. And it was, I, I ended up staying on for a few years just because I loved it so much. I just, it was such an opening of my eyes to how many things are so amazing that I had just never tasted before. And was that store just super busy? It was super busy. And you know, it was just another testament to how great she is. Like, of course, the summer months are just chaos mm-hmm. in the Hamptons. And then in the winter months, the year-round people, like myself, she would, I know, would pay us for 45 hours a week, even though we were only open Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that was kind of her thank you for knowing that we were through the ringer from, is it, I always forget what's first, Labor Day? Yeah, or Labor, Memorial Day. Memorial Day through Labor Day. It was just nonstop. And yeah, I mean, it was just, it was busy mostly in the summer, but then in the winter months, I mean, you still had wealthy people that's, that lived out there, so they needed somewhere to shop. That's really amazing. Yeah, she was amazing. Yeah. So I learned you, a lot. So you're there and you're learning about the food culture and the food world. And mm-hmm. then when did you decide to start making your own mixes? And- well, I had come back to the Midwest um, and just w- went actually, I ended up in Minnesota because Dave Wright from Breadsmith brought me here to manage their wholesale in Wyzetta. Okay. And so I... Of course, followed a boy up here and uh, <laughs> and um, ended up working there and kind of didn't like getting up at three in the morning to go make bread every day. So I transitioned over to Turtle Bread where I lived in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and just really loved Harvey and was feeling so lucky to be working with Pam Sherman, who was there at the time. And Harvey came in one day and he was like, hey, so there's this vinegar making class at Shady Acres Herb Farm. Who wants to go? And so Harvey and Pam and I get the store manager's name and I all trucked it out to Chaska and went to, or is it Chanhassen, Chaska, and went to this great herb making class. And at the end, Harvey was like, oh, those vinegars look great. You should make some for the shop. And so I did. And they just kind of started selling and then they mm-hmm. started selling more. And that was the, the light went off. And I was like, oh, I should be doing this. And so I stayed working there and was doing it and selling at the farmer's market. And then Things just kept rolling, and I kept thinking, well, I should do some spices to go with the vinegar. Right. And it just kind of one thing after another led to I, we make 125 products now. So when you first started, there wasn't this whole maker's movement, really. Correct. So when you look back now with what you know now, mm-hmm. would you have followed that same path? I think so. I mean, I am the goosey looseyest business person ever. Like, I've never... I've always moved on gut feelings of stuff and what I felt like I really believed in. And fortunately, through hard work and luck, it's worked out. Um, I think now is a lot harder getting into the food industry because there are so many more people doing it. Uh huh. Um, I think, although also being as old in the industry as I am, I always feel like, you know, somebody should do some stories about, like, I feel like I talk to restaurateurs who've been in business for 15 years and like, in restaurant years, that's like a thousand. Like that's right. something that people should be remembering and talking about. We were just talking about that actually right before earlier today. Really? I was talking about it with a woman who she's doing PR for restaurants. And it's like, does anyone want to hear the story of the restaurant that's been in business for 20 years? Right. 
And I said, yes, we do, but there has to be a story there. Like, right. just longevity, sadly, isn't enough. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> so how do you continue to make that interesting? Or can you reinvite people back into their space to re-experience it again from right. a new pair of eyes? Um, so we just had that conversation. So you are making spices. You are making vinegars. When did you decide to actually open a store? And do you remember... The moment where you were like, I'm going to do this. Well, you know, the thing is, is 13 years ago, the local groceries, the Lenz, Byerly's, Kowalski's didn't have local sections. Right. Like it really wasn't the thing. Like, And so I realized like at the end of the farmer's market season, at the end of October, I was like, oh, well, gosh, nobody can find any of this stuff until April. Like that seems weird to me. Yeah. And um, so that next year I actually tried and I called it the artisan's market and did like a little pop-up shop. And again, nobody, I, no one was doing it. I was just going to say that had yeah. to be very unique <laughs> at the time. It was really unique. And I remember we got, oh, who is the mayor of Minneapolis? Probably. Sharon Sills Belton. She came in and, or someone with her came in and they were like, this is so great. Because it was right down by Manning's that mm-hmm. I had the first one down on Como Ave. Sure. And for being open just Saturday, Sunday for four weeks, like end of November, beginning of December, it was chaos. And I'm like, whoa, people really want this. People want to be able to buy stuff that they know where it's coming from. And so that was kind of the first seed getting in my brain. And I think the following year, I was taking my oldest son to his daycare provider in St. Yep. Paul. And I just drove by and saw this for rent sign. And I was like, that's the place. And yeah, my husband, who is wonderful because he's... 100% behind me all the time. Sometimes he could talk me away and go, well, you should think about this. Because I called him, I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? And he said, go for it. <laughs> yeah. So and then... I signed the lease the next day and just rolled from there. So when you signed your lease, did you have any money? No. So how did you fund and get inventory? And So, you know, I have always been leery of borrowing money just because I always felt like I know the first five years I did Golden Fig, the products, I worked a full-time and a part-time job. And I did that because then I never had to worry, okay, if I don't sell 40 cases of vinegars, I can't pay my rent this month. So wait, full-time job. Full-time job. Part-time job. Waiting tables. And then Golden Fig. (laughs) And then I did Golden Fig. I didn't sleep a lot. I still don't sleep a lot, though. So, yeah, so I did that and self-funded, and my husband is, as always, the good sport because he covered all house bills. Right. So I could just, whatever I was able to make, I could just reinvest and keep building and making it better. And so with the store, it was kind of, you know, I felt lucky because I had the wholesale or like the Golden Fig products, so I could be at market and I could generate cash income every weekend. And that really fed right into funding the store. And when I first opened, the store was under a thousand square feet. It was just the very front of that space that I'm currently in. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So then it was, it was much smaller. And then about five years in the space behind me came available. So the landlord knocked the wall down and that doubled our size. So it's, you know, I've always grown, I'm sure at a much slower pace than many businesses, but I've always been able to afford the growth. And as we speak today, you are expanding again. (laughs) So talk about that. Yes. So currently the fig space is 1,200 square feet. And the opportunity came up um, to move into the two spaces next door. And that makes it about 2,100. So almost doubles it. And do you, I feel like you have plenty of product in order to fill it. And then some. Yeah. Yeah. So still... What kind of things do you think people will experience differently in the new expanded fig? 
Well, you know, one of the things that I've heard from a few of our regular shoppers is, oh, is it still going to be cozy? And it it really will. I mean, I will say it's uncomfortably cozy in our current space Mm -hmm. many times throughout the year just because we're so packed. Like you can't really fit more than one person wide sometimes. I'm always afraid my purse is going <laughs> to knock something, something off the shelf. <laughs> I have like this huge purse. Yes. And you know, we're really hoping to, again, with more local groceries, bringing in a lot more of the local products, we've expanded to not just be Midwest anymore. I've noticed that. Yeah, and we're 100% American made still. So it's still an American made product every time. Um, but We've kept like our core products that we love that are local and maybe we don't have all 10 flavors of that granola anymore. We have our favorite two, but you can still get the other eight at Kowalski's or Byerly's. And so then that's opened the door for us to find things from other areas. There's a huge food movement in Brooklyn. We have so many great Brooklyn yeah. products now. We've been seeing a lot of good things coming in from Colorado. So, I mean, just in different things, like there's no one in the Midwest making olive oil, obviously. So we've got this the other brother company out of uh, Northern California and we get their olive oil in. So it's really helped us add more things that are still domestic. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. It's interesting. I think the first time I ever had like McClure pickles was at Mm -hmm. your shop and they're from Brooklyn and have expanded. And what I feel like a lot is that you introduced us foodies to something Mm -hmm. and then eventually it does migrate to the Lunds and Byerly's or the Kowalski's. (laughs) Is that frustrating for you? You know, I initially it was and I was like, I don't have a budget to keep going to like I know a lot of the grocery stores have big budgets and go to food shows. Yeah, they'll go and, to the three yes. food shows a year. Yes. And and I realize though, but it's fun because it keeps me always bringing new things. And like I'm always so pleased that really 50 percent of what we're bringing in, we are the very first store in the state to have it. And I know that for a fact. So yeah. I always feel very glad that then it does grow more legs and it's only good things because then that company's busier, too. Well, and I love that about you as a human. I really feel like you're very genuine and very helpful and very thoughtful to those local producers. And I is that because you were a local producer yourself or someone took you under their wing and said, oh, no, why are you packaging it like this? Do it that way. <laughs> well, I think, sure, a combination. I, I've definitely, I mean, I have a unique perspective in the manufacturing and in the wholesaling and in the retailing and, because I'm doing all of them. Right. I mean, like, I'm, I've am i made so many mistakes. Like, I've had, I'll never forget the first time a Department of Agriculture inspector called me and he's like, hey, so I'm just checking on your license. And I'm like, my license? Like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I had no idea. <laughs> so I've made a lot of mistakes that I think everybody doesn't need to make those same ridiculous mistakes, like not knowing about certain licenses or renewals or whatever. Like, it's easy enough to share that information. Right. So I'm always happy to do it. Um. Do you feel like some of the makers are not as well versed as they should be? Well, I think it's tricky. And that's another thing. Like sometimes my store manager and I often joke that we educate a lot of people. Like when their product comes in and their invoice just has their name written on it and no address and no phone number and no invoice number and no terms and and it just has an amount. And it's yep. like, it needs to be like, we need to have like the right tax forms from you on file. And it's really important even on their products to have like a phone number. Because I often think about my grandma, if she loved this candy bar, is not 
going to go onto their website and find out where to get it. She's right. going to call the phone number on it and say, hey, where can I get this? And I mean, it's just simple things like that that I feel like because we are every day receiving these things and talking to customers, we are a good insight into right. how to really prepare people. Like, And I often joke, you know, you're not going to show up at Whole Foods or Byerly's with your product without an invoice. Like you have to be prepared or you're not going to be able to grow. Which is funny that that happens, but I know it does. Oh, it does all the time. Um, when you are looking at, let's say I come to your product and I've got, you know, my six cookies. Mm-hmm. And what makes you decide to carry me in your store or not? Well, it's a lot of factors and it's a lot more factors than anybody I think would ever think of. Like, first of all, I'll take like caramels, for instance. Like mm-hmm. We have these amazing caramels that are made in St. Paul. We sell hundreds of pounds of them a year. They're so delicious. The duck fat ones? Not the duck fat ones. They're Mima's caramels. Oh, okay. And they're just delicious. They're simple. They're not, I mean, they're like a sea salt. There's a bourbon sea salt. There's a chocolate sea salt. Okay. And they're amazing. And people will bring us caramels on a monthly basis. And they're like, oh, you should consider these. And they're never bad, but they're just not that as good as the Mima's caramels. So it's that thing of if it's as good as, and it's maybe a different flavor, then we'll add in some of the different flavors that we aren't currently like having such a huge following for. Mm -hmm. But it really like it comes down to, is it, would it have enough steam to replace the demand for the one we have? And how does it look visually? Like we really do go by look as much as taste. So a lot of times we choose things based on taste, but also the color of the package because how it looks next to the other stuff and how it merchandises on the shelf. And yeah, there's a lot that I just had a tea guy in today and he was asking me about the ordering. And I was like, well, you know, I need to go online and see what color all of these tea tins are because that will help me then kind of suss out what the four of each variety will be because I don't want to have three that are blue. And he was like, what? And I'm like, well, because they won't display as nicely. <laughs> it's funny that I'm hearing you describe that because as a shopper in your store, mm-hmm. that wouldn't have occurred to me that you think like that. But now hearing you say it, I can see that you think like that because I can <laughs> see it in the store when I'm looking at things visually. Yes. And I've always thought that your store was merchandised really well for being so, I mean, it's Aww. very compact. It is. But I, it's it's interesting to hear you say that, that that weighs into the whole. Well, there really is. There's a ton of thought that goes into it. And we try to stick with glass packaging versus plastic. We've stopped carrying lines that we really loved. But the plastic thing just was a disconnect for us because it just seemed so much richer and nicer and more expensive in that glass jar. I did mean, you learn that from the Barefoot Contessa or where did you pick that insight up? I don't know. Inside up? I think it's just my type A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, you know... Plastic is what it is. It's definitely people need it for certain applications. But I just, I don't know. I feel like things seem heavier and just more wonderful to me when it's in a just a beautiful glass jar. And you can reuse that glass jar for vinaigrettes or for whatever. Right, right. Yeah. When you are doing your spice mixes, um, I, I think you have a barbecue mm-hmm. rub. Yes. And I want to say it maybe has like, there's a flower in it. Barbecue. Well, we have the sal de cuisine that is very popular, and that's more of a salty, like coarse ground seasoned salt. And it has, it's all savories except there's a little cinnamon. Okay. And that one is a very fun one. We have the sal de soleil. That's another salt one that has basil and lemon and a little lavender. I think that's the one I'm thinking of. And that one's really nice. So when you're making these spices and you have so many, 
like, are you just coming up with that on your own or are you inspired by like magazines? How are you figuring out how to make these delicious spice blends? You know, I have this, the master book and it's about this giant and it has probably 10,000 products that I would love to make. <laughs> it's, it's out of control. And I think of something, I think, oh, that would be really good. And I just write it in there. And then eventually when I come back to it, then if I can, if I have space for it on the shelf or I have, if I think, oh yeah, people would get that, then we'll, we'll make it. Your chocolate salt is it's so fun. Big in our house. And I I remember when I bought it, it just sounded good. Right. And I actually never used it. But you know, my <laughs> daughter has I'm not really a baker. Right. I'm just I mean, occasionally I'll make like banana bread or something, but I'm not really a baker. Yes. But my daughter has baked a lot and is making shortbread cookies with it and um, putting it on cakes, and I mean, she's using it for lots of things. It's great on brownies, and actually, that chocolate salted caramel we have in our store for Mima, she uses our chocolate salt on it. Oh, okay, so Magic. there you go. Yeah. Um. So in the new expanded fig, will we see more of your products? Because I would imagine you're limited in what you can carry, even in your own store, if you have a book that's you know eight inches tall, full to of a ideas. Degree, but then again, we're also kind of restricted by what I'm up for licensing. Like, I I don't want to have, like, to do more, like, ready-to-eat things, which I think would be fantastic. I would really need to develop a whole line of them being vegetarian because I don't want to have to introduce meat and then be FDA inspected. Yep. So, like, it's all of those extra things that I often am thinking about. You know, the new space, we're hoping to add more like home goods, like American-made home goods, because I so like cake pans. So and... cake pans, like have you seen those amazing Smithy cast iron pans from Charleston? Yes, I have seen those. I love in them your so place. much, and yeah. yeah, and again, like we're the only store. I just got an email today through our website saying, "Did I see on their website you're the Minnesota store?" And I'm like, "We're the Minnesota store," <laughs> <laughs> but adding more things like that, and I we just picked up this line. Um, I think it's called Common Goods, and it's this beautiful, like the cleanest ingredients ever dish soap hand soap spray cleaner glass cleaner and they have uh, laundry soap as well and the the scents are like bergamot tea tree lavender and unscented and they also have a huge like refill station so like you can bring your bottles back in and just refill them which i i love the idea yep um so you're not going more towards like a deli, as it were. I wouldn't mind doing it, but I just think not the first phase. Okay. I think the first phase is slide ourselves over and get situated. We're going to have a more expansive cheese offering. Um, I know that we'll hopefully add in a few different lines of more healthy things. Like I've noticed a lot of the co-ops that I'm a regular shopper at, I think they kind of all buy from the same few distributors. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of tell. And I get it. Like accounting at my store is a nightmare because we are buying from 500 vendors every month. It's but a lot it's also of probably what makes you unique. It is. So we've been really kind of seeking far and wide across the U.S., finding like great, more health conscious things. Like I think all the things that we're selling are really good and we still have our rule of nothing in the store has artificial color, no artificial flavors, no hydrogenated oils. But it's not necessarily like good for you stuff. Like it's good stuff, but it's not... Like a great, I'm trying to think, we found a few, like almost like the RX bars, but like a really small producer of, like what RX bars maybe used to be before they got bought. Yep. And so things like that, or just like, I'm trying to think, we found some great great organic whey protein powder from Iowa and things like that. So trying to add in, and the protein powder thing, 
we might even start making a product with that because it kills me that if I want to get a vanilla protein powder, it's sweetened. Why? Why can't it just be protein powder and vanilla bean powder and not have stevia or Please gross let me know if you it? make that because yeah. I'm struggling with that. Right? I, I'm doing the whole 30 for January mm-hmm. and I've always taken protein powder in the morning and just as a way to, I don't know, they tell you you should yeah, eat more protein and so sure. that's what I do. But to find any that doesn't have sugar in it is a real pain. It's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would love to have like one with freeze dried, freeze dried strawberry powder and vanilla bean powder and the whey protein. You don't Yum. need the sweetener. And if you want, you could add in honey or you could add in maple syrup or right. whatever. But yeah, the stevia thing makes my brain hurt. <laughs> um, when you think about the store, like how many employees do you have now? So right now we have eight. So we could need, we actually need to once we get moved in there get another person or two in because it's a, a twice the size of the store we're going to need more people on in general. Is that a situation for you that's been troubling the increased minimum wage, offering healthcare benefits, the competition for workers? You know, not the you, it's interesting like as I interview people you can always tell people who've never worked for independently owned businesses but I'm often shocked when people are telling me the jobs that they're coming from that are huge companies and they're only paying $8 an hour. Like right. I will say it's something I've always been very proud of that I actually starting wage that I start people at, I actually pay myself per hour because I feel like that's a fair way for me to keep trying to increase that. Cause I also don't want to make $8 an hour. <laughs> right. So I've always felt glad that we are way, way beyond what the minimum wage is. But it's not $18 an hour like many people that are starting some places are getting. Like it's that that balancing act of trying to make people understand there are benefits to working for the small company and sure you're not making minimum wage. You're not, I mean, I don't know. I just, it's tricky. It's a tricky thing. We we find a lot of college kids come Uh in, which is nice. But then again, you spend all that effort training them. And then of course they graduate and go to their real job. Right. They stay a couple of years. (laughs) Yeah. Do you offer healthcare benefits? Um, for full-time people, I reimburse them for the health care they have. Wow. Yeah. So that's a good way to do that. Yeah. And an amazing thing that if you're at an eight-employee company that they could count on you for that. Right. Um, do you carry your own benefits or does your husband... Oh, that's where my lucky husband comes into play again. <laughs> I, I only asked that question and maybe I should stop asking it. I don't no, know. I but think it's a great question. I it When I sold my company... It was not something I spent a lot of time thinking about. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it was a $27,000 bill that I had to pay yeah, every year. I'm sure. And that was really even before I used much health care. Right. So any of, that's not including like what I actually had to pay out of pocket for most of the care that we needed. And I think a lot of makers need to be thinking about that. It's true. And it's one of those things I grew up, my dad worked for Uniroyal. Mm-hmm. And I always remember, it was one of my favorite stories he's ever told me. Like, they went through the whole gamut of getting closed down when, I don't remember who, like Michelin bought them. And they lost all of their benefits and whatever. And so everybody was doom and gloom. And my dad was like, this is not the best day ever. And I was like, what? And he's like, I so disliked that job. But as a 21-year-old with two kids... You work that job because it has good benefits. Right. And you, he worked that job all the way through we were in high school and college because it had benefits. And I, I always remember thinking, you know, that's such a case for why we need to figure out how to not have insurance tied to work. Like everybody should be able to afford their insurance 
and not stay at a job that they detest for 20 years of their life, right? Yeah, or that you would take a job simply for that reason, right. too. Yeah. Um, which is a whole nother single payer conversation, which we will have over a glass of wine someday. Indeed. I would love to talk more <laughs> about that. Um, are there just give me your like top five products you're excited about that mm. are most recent? Most recent. This meaning that you've come across your desk and you're like, wow, that's great. I can't wait to eat that. I s- and they can be your own too. <laughs> we've currently been trying to hatch some kind of a purple drink mix in lieu of the Viking mania. Sure. I was like, how do we make it purple? Do we use hibiscus? Like, what do we use? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, know. I was like, I don't know. So that's actually something we're in the process of creating. But gosh, I don't know. My favorite things. I would say, honestly, this tea is one of my very favorite things. She's I know holding we were... a Cadence Cold Brew Organic Tea. And it's unsweetened, which I love. And this one... It's just, it's like an Earl Grey. And I just, I know I said this, but I would never think to ice an Earl Grey. Like I usually think of fruity or green or yep. whatever. And I think that one's so delicious. It's in a beautiful can too. Like the packaging it's of lovely. it is really pretty. It's kind of a royal blue with um, salmon colored flowers on it. Yes. And it is, you're right. It is from Madison. Yeah. So you, it, it seemed like it was, you said it was local. So I was looking at the can. Yes. Local as in Scanny way. Cadence Cold Brew. <laughs> I, I wonder, I know this is makers of Minnesota, but sometimes I feel like, wow, I could just like, Wisconsin's kind of like Minnesota in some respects. I <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin, so it's kind of like a mishmash, right? <laughs> um, one of the, do you still live in Wisconsin? No, Woodbury, okay. so almost Wisconsin. Yes. One of the um, best stories, I think, in retail for a long time was when someone came knocking at your door mm-hmm. about uh, three years ago now, oh, I think yes. it was. Oh, yes. Okay, now I know where you're going. <laughs> uh, can you tell everybody about who came knocking at your door? That was a pretty fun day. That was uh, none other than President Obama came knocking at my door. <laughs> and it was pre- it was pretty fantastic. I mean, we had like at least a half an hour conversation about about bees and colony collapse disorder and about the importance of kids knowing where their food comes from and how kids really educate adults. And it was, I mean, I had the exact story relaying that exact thing about me in second grade and sister Thomasina taking us to a maple syrup farm. And like, it really, like it was, it was pretty fantastic. How did he find your store? So I, my children would be rolling their eyes if they could hear me, but I say a million times a week, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. And I just saw that he was going to be in Minnesota. I was reading an email, and so I just replied to the email and was like, hey, the president should come to my store. I think that's so amazing (laughs) that A, you asked, and that B, he answered. and Yes. And he was lovely to you and your employees. and He was. He was charming, and he, I still laugh. There was a picture that a photographer from, uh, I think, Minneapolis took, and it was the president was telling a joke and it was super not funny. And my sister was there with me <laughs> and I looked at her and we kind of both like rolled our eyes back like, yeah, super not funny. And he saw us and he was like, oh, girls, give a guy a break. And my, <laughs> It was so funny. Like there's this picture where you could see he's got his eyes shut and his head tilted and the photographer just captured it. My sister's head is like tossed back laughing and it was so funny. And as they were walking out, Pete Souza leaned over, who is his White House photographer. And he was like, that was amazing. You two are the only ones who haven't laughed at that joke in five years. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> and I said, it wasn't funny. <laughs> but see, that's Minnesota, though, isn't it? Right? We're earnest to a fault and honest. Indeed. <laughs> um, 
how can you talk a little bit about marketing for the store? Because I don't think like in all the years that you've been doing it, I don't think I've heard any radio ads. I don't think I've really seen many print ads. How do you market? You know, it's as one who doesn't necessarily, you know, it's that thing of trying things and seeing how I feel like they work. And I will tell you, for me, I feel like the best forms of advertising are me being at the farmer's market on the weekends because okay. it is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that I'm talking to face to face. And every single one of them, I'm giving a little store card and saying, oh, yeah, and if you're up on grand, you should stop in. And that really, it's hard work. Like, I for sure would love to not wake up at 4 a.m. I'm just Saturday. impressed that you're still doing that. Oh, my gosh. I've been doing it. This is my 20th year, for heaven's sakes. And yep. But it really is like even when I do the Woodbury Farmer's Market on some Sundays, like the store will call me and they're like, hey, we had eight people that came in today just because they saw you at market. Yep. And like it's it's hard work, but I think it really is a beneficial one. Another one, um, we do a lot of gift things for TPT mm-hmm. and I love TPT. And so yep. as a trade off, then they do like a little 30 second spot for us. Mm-hmm. And we probably... We had hundreds of people that came in this year in December and said that they saw that little spot on TPT and they yep. love TPT. So they wanted to come in and support the store that also supported it. I, I've always tried to choose avenues to advertise in or be at that were actually my customer, I guess. Right. So um, social media, is that has that changed your business? And do you do it? Do you hire it? I do it. And I think it's really fun. So I do all of our Instagram and our... I. I don't know why, but Twitter makes my brain hurt. Like, I remember someone Twitter viewed me once and I thought my head was going to explode because I talk so much. It was really hard to condense it into such yep. few characters. So I probably Instagram and Facebook for the store every day. It's interesting because I was just thinking about this the other day. I feel like, so Instagram is very visual, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. you can tell a story with a picture. Facebook is changing the algorithm so that it used to be, you know, you'd like something. And it would show up. And it would show up. And if you had a page that was liked by lots of people, it would show up more. Mm -hmm. Well, now it's really getting down to engagements. And the engagements have to be pretty significant and real in order for them to show up. So I wonder if, if, because if you're not getting your news on Facebook or Mm -hmm. your day-to-day. And for the record, you maybe shouldn't. (laughs) <laughs> okay, but but people were right for sure. You know your pop culture or your entertainment yes. or whatever oh, sure. you're getting yes. from your Facebook. If it's going to be a lot more interactive and personal between mm-hmm. you and your legitimate friends and family, right. then I wonder if Twitter will rise in significance again it could. because it's very Twitter to me is very news based. Right? Yes. You flick through there to kind of see if there's a news story happening. That you want to learn more about. Yeah, and you quickly go there, and you can get a lot of different sources commenting yes. on that same piece of news. So Facebook's changing the algorithm is making me wonder if Twitter will actually have more significance again. It could be, and you know, it's funny though. It's still there is such power. Like even Instagram, I think more and more people seem to be using that because it's so much. It's really just the beautiful pictures. Yep. Versus like. There's so much political crazy on the Facebook scene. Mm -hmm. So I find that our Instagram posts, like I can post something around three o'clock. And if it's something yummy for dinner, people come in on their way home because they're checking it before they leave work. And more immediate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, And I don't know. I mean, I feel like there seem to be, I guess I don't know what the comparison is on how many users use Facebook versus Instagram, but I feel like there's like, if you haven't seen something in the first 60 seconds on Facebook, 
it's a thousand posts down already. Like, I feel like it gets lost so fast. Yeah. And you were seeing more of that on Instagram, I think, too. Yeah. The Do you remember? This is a weird just statistic. But <laughs> do you remember when you used to post, like, I guess two years ago, you'd post and you wouldn't see the next post coming up in your feed for a while. Yeah. Now, like, by the time I've posted something, three I can see three quick posts have already gone past me. Right. And I have to, like, go back to figure out what I missed right. in that time frame. Yeah, it, yes, I agree. It's moving a lot faster. It is, and I don't know if that's with more users or... More users, more advertising, more... I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it seems like just as soon as you get good at something, then the game is ruined and you got to go to the next place. <laughs> Do you use Pinterest at all? Ah, Pinterest is the rabbit hole for me because, like, I get on there and then I want to just stay on there all day long. And I don't know. I haven't quite figured out... How, because I don't have social media training. Mm -hmm. So I haven't quite figured out how it is that, how do I get somebody to pin something that would be pertinent to, I only do Facebook personally. I don't do any of the other, I don't do Instagram personally and I don't do Twitter personally. They're Mm -hmm. all golden fig accounts. So I just wonder, I haven't quite spent the time reading up on how would Pinterest benefit me if I were putting things on there. Yeah, they do have shop features now. Okay. Um, and people do fall into the same rabbit hole that you do. Yeah. But for whatever reason, and it's very women driven, so mm-hmm. potentially that would be an avenue for you to look at. But I'll be honest, I don't hear a lot of my social media clients like they're interested in Pinterest. Mm-hmm. They're thinking about it, but nobody's doing anything about it or putting any resources towards it. I don't it. know why it just seems like such a bigger like, I don't know. When I look at it, I, my brain is just like, wait, what should I have searched? <laughs> wait, I don't know why that showed up. I was searching blueberries right. and like, it's just crazy. Like everything is coming in. So yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sure if I spent more time in it, I'd actually learn more about it. And then I wouldn't go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody's got limited amounts of time, right? You know, I seriously sometimes joke by the time I transfer money in my bank accounts and do a Pinterest or do a Facebook and an Instagram and a tweet, it's like noon and I haven't gotten anything. Really That's done. right. Cause it takes a lot longer than people think. Yes. Making sure the picture's good. Although I do have a rule. If it takes more than two shots, I'm not I'm not doing it because it must not be right. So, like, if I take one and I look at it and I don't like it, I'll try again. And if it doesn't work, I'm done with that as the idea of what I was going to post. Oh, I like that idea. <laughs> I like that idea. I don't like and we will... when they look super planned. We are here with Lori Kroll. Her store is The Golden Fig. It is on Grand Avenue. And you guys are also online. And you can buy gift baskets. Mm-hmm. You can buy any of the spices that she's talked about and your drink mixes, you don't sell those online, do you? We don't just because they're fresh. Yeah. They're a refrigerated item. So usually you'll find those just at the farmer's market or at the store. And they're so delicious. They so make sure delicious. you seek them out. Thanks for being our guest today. Thanks. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. <laughs> Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. An F-16 pilot having hydraulic problems with his aircraft managed to parachute to safety as the plane smashed into a warehouse east of Los Angeles. Fire Captain Fernando Herrera. That pilot landed in the uh, March Air Force Base area. In the base itself. Amazingly, there were no serious injuries after the plane hit the building. Alabama executed a man last night for his role in killing four people after an argument over a pickup truck. Tennessee executed a man who killed his wife. Reporters couldn't see the execution, but AP correspondent Travis Lawler says... We could hear sounds, uh, including a singing 
that uh, uh, Mr. Johnson's attorney says was him singing a hymn. Answering a reporter's question, President Trump said he hopes the U.S. is not on a path to war with Iran. Mr. Trump has dismissed suggestions that any of his advisors are trying to push him into a conflict. I'm Rita Foley.